We all have questions about the Bible. At Milwaukee Chi Alpha, we want to take the questions we have about the Old Testament and use them to get us closer to Jesus and what we're calling the XA Learning Hour. And we strongly believe that if God is real, if what we believe is true, our questions will lead us back to Him. So let's start this journey in the XA Learning Hour, questioning the Old Testament. Okay, so um, this is part two of creation and science. Um, I'm saying and not verses because we are trying to get at this understanding that creation and science do not have to clash. Um, and we will do our best. I will do my best to uh, kind of help see that a little bit and pull the threads on both sides there. Um, I think it's important to note that I am not a scientist, <laughs> nor am I even apologist, an apologist or a doctor of philosophy. I'm simply a campus pastor who desperately wants you to grapple with the questions around us about our Bible so we can know our Bible better. So um, I, I want to kind of start by even just laying out why we're even talking about this, why we're discussing this topic. Um, this is not for us to like build up our moat uh, to protect our Christian thinking and our doctrine. Um, this is not to separate ourselves from the world by saying this is, this is the reason for us to believe and they're all wrong. That's not the point here. Um, the reason we even have these questions is because there are people out there who have been asking questions of their Bible and yet looking at, it, at their research and saying there seems to be something disconnected. And then how we as Christians respond to that has led to greater divisions and wrestling matches. And we have this entire, like if you go Google go on, or go on YouTube and just search in like science versus creation or arguments for God or any of this stuff and you'll hear a whole bunch of different names. You'll probably see names like John Lennox or William Lane Craig on the Christian side. Or you'll see like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens um, and on, on the uh uh, natural selection, evolution, all that side. And, and you'll see them pitted against each other. And it's just, there's so much. And those are just some of the bigger names. There's many others that we could dig at here. Um, but my hope in, in the reason we're discussing this is not to find our camp and get in that camp, but actually to help us build bridges to the people around us who are asking these questions, to know how to uh, thoughtfully engage not only our Bible, but our culture. Because we are, we believe that uh, our God loves His creation, and He wants us to know Him. <clears throat> and so, as we wrestle with this particular topic, we're wrestling with real questions that people have had that have led people away from God. And I think it's very helpful for us to recognize that journey that people are on as we're wrestling with these questions, and help us not be antagonistic, but build bridges. Does that make sense? That's that's the basis of why we're asking this. Um, just wondering if we have like questions. Excuse me. Can we just ask them? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. If you if you have one now, feel free. And if you have, you have know, as we I'm go. I'm sure I'm going to have some later, which is why I'm bringing up right away. Yeah, that would be awesome. Please ask your questions as we go. Um, and one other disclaimer: my notes are really scattered here. Um, so my, I might jump around with different topics that I found really interesting or thoughtful as we're kind of looking at this really broad 
um, tension. Um, cool? Um, so, uh, hot. Hot. <laughs> hot, hot, hot. Um, so can science and the arguments and perspectives of creation held within scientific fields coexist with the biblical narrative? Are they mutually exclusive? Are, as Dr. Neil deGrasse Tyson believes, faith and reason irre irreconcilable? Um, many believe that to be the case. Um, however, my, what I want to pose today is the method of observing and describing our world shouldn't contradict what God created our world to display. Our method of discovering our world shouldn't contradict what God created in our world, if that makes sense, okay? So as we discover our, our world that God created, we shouldn't, it shouldn't lead us away from God, if he is who he says he is, it should point us to God. Um, <clears throat> now, as we examined last time in part one, we examined Genesis one and two, um, and we kind of like, looked at those two passages about creation and uh and and if you were there we kind of were like is is the straightforward little re literal reading the best way to read those two chapters or is there a more thoughtful um uh secondary way or maybe a primary way as i suggested that maybe this book those two chapters aren't about how god created the world but why um and the reason and, and what we did in that uh, part one was kind of walked through just we did it essentially a scientific method of examining these through through a, a uh, through a literary sense we looked at the literary styles and structures which posed questions for us that we examined and and then did more research on to see maybe this is actually a better understanding of what genesis one and two are all about um and uh and my hope is that you can go back and listen to that one um, and, and see maybe that there's a, uh, a really good way of reading Genesis 1 and 2, not through a literal, this is the way God made everything, but asking a deeper question of who God is and, and why he made us. Um, <clears throat> now, we didn't actually, though, kind of dig at some of the, the arguments, the scientific arguments against this and all this stuff, so I kind of want to expose a little bit more or work on that a little bit again i'm not an expert in this field um so as i stumble over it and you have questions feel free to ask them and we'll kind of work together to understand um this tension a little bit um so uh uh, uh richard uh, not richard that's that's dawkins um <laughs> stephen hawkins that's what i'm looking for <laughs> um yeah, right, no, not really, but yeah. Uh-huh, they have a lot of similar arguments. Um, so uh, Hawkins, he made the uh, case that um, the Bible, Genesis chapter one and chapter two, are rival accounts, and they're a scientific theory against the science of natural selection. Um, and he's, so he's framing Genesis one and two as a scientific theory. Um, and it's interesting because then you have people like Ken Ham and uh, the Creation Museum. Um, people in this camp specifically tends to be the American conservative theological position. Um, have essentially taken up that same perspective of Genesis 1 and 2 as a scientific theory and account. Um, making this statement that this Bible, our Bible, is... Um, sorry, I'm, I need to find the literal wording here that I have um, is a simple factual historical truth 
is how they read Genesis 1 and 2. That is a simple, factual, historical truth. Um, now, <clears throat> hold on your seats a little bit because we're going to kind of press a little bit of how we understand our Bible. Right? That's at the center of this, is how we understand and read our Bible is in question. Um, because though we want to be able to read this, just say, oh, it says this, so it means this. Um, we are making an assumption that that's exactly what the Bible is meant to do, um, that it is literally meant to be written to us in our culture and our own understanding. Um, and we have to make room that there is a whole lot more at play. Now, people who, uh, who hold the straightforward reading are not to be just dismissed, nor are we to look at those who hold that this is all wrong are simply to be dismissed. Um, we need to listen and work at this. And some of the things I really like, if you are in the camp of this is a straightforward reading, I believe in a seven day creation, um, uh, I don't have a problem with that. I don't think there's really um, uh, enough evidence to suggest that is absolutely not what happened. Um, and Ken Ham and those in that camp um, offer some really thoughtful explanations that I think are worth listening to. Things like, God is a God who created. And how could, why could he not have created things with history built into it? Um, though we can observe our world as being billions of years old, could he not have created a world that had history into it? Um, an argument I've heard that I like within that is that he created Adam as a man, not as an infant. So, you know, like there's, there's an element of like, that, that doesn't have to be wrong. Like just because God can create exactly how he wants to create. Um, and if he said he created it this way, why do we have to argue that? Now, I, I think that's, that's, uh, uh, that holds weight a little bit um, because, yes, God is God. Um, another thing I've, I've heard within that camp is given the flood um, in Genesis chapter 6 um, in Noah, um, was a, if it was a global flood, that as it uh, went away, as the flood um, went down, that would have accelerated certain erosion things that we look at, like an example being the Grand Canyon is this thing. You can see the layers over thousands of years of it erosion. Um, but they make this argument that a flood will often do the same things that we see a river do over millions of years. Um, a flood can accelerate, accelerate off that, all that. And I think that's an interesting perspective. Um, and it, and it, it's not something to just flippantly uh, dismiss. Um, but like I said, uh, <clears throat> they are doubling down on a straightforwardness of these passages. Um, but I, I do think there is a better uh, reading of the text um, as we looked at in the last section. Um, now, on the other hand, though, okay, so we're look, let's look at the scientific perspective. Oh, you have a question, yeah. Yeah, I just kind of have a thought, too, about... Um what stops God from like creating things that's already in motion? Yeah. Like he could have just created the Grand Canyon instead of like having water created. Exactly. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think we need to be okay with like we, we observe our world as having all this history and we can see it and be marveled by it. But good couldn't God have created it just by speaking it rather than setting things in motion? Couldn't have already done that. And I, I, yeah, I think we need to make room for that. Um, Why would he just create something like, so like round? <laughs> I guess like, it sure. is, I don't know how to describe it. Like, why would he just create it so like, um, without, 
like depth yeah. or height, literally. Yeah. Um, yeah. It could be like so weird. Right. <laughs> and and he's an, he, he's creative. I mean, he's the first title he's given is creator. Mm-hmm. Um, so like an artist who is, is not just like <laughs> forming a blob, you know, it's just yeah. really, it's masterful. And, his, and we look into our, our world and we see that. It's masterful. Um, and that's one of those arguments that, uh, not even within this camp, but it just um, Christian uh, apologetics will look at our creation and say, look at the magnificence of this creation. Look at how finely tuned it is. And then they'll do um, all the scientific uh, research at, at how, where, how do we get here? How did we? How did we just happen? You know, right? And and how did we get this incredibly dynamic? Is there any other way of this happening? Right? And and if you've heard the fine-tuning argument, um, you've 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 probably you're probably familiar with some of this. But um, it's this question of like, could it all of this Big Bang happen and all of this life just happen so perfectly by chance? And the chances of, I mean, just looking at uh, one of the things I was uh, researching was um, the strong and uh, weak um, forces, if they were off by like one to the like 100 millionth power or something, it's just a massive number. If it was off by the tiniest microscopic number we could possibly imagine, then life doesn't exist. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit together. Um, And so the odds of it happening i mean there's a there's a chance but it's so microscopic that it suggests something else happening um and people who use this argument often use the picture of a watch um when if you were to find a watch somewhere you would not think wow i can't believe that just happened you would think well someone made that um and that's the kind of the the idea behind the fine-tuning argument that we're looking at this finely tuned beautiful creation that works that is growing and thriving that humanity is we're so intricate our bodies are so magnificently put together that we we wouldn't look at this and just think wow that just that's cool that that happened you know we would uh it should say wow who made that you know that's that we see that in our world uh we would never look at a book and and you know if we found a book in the grand canyon think Wow, the river produced a book. You know, we wouldn't think that. We'd think, wow, where'd that book come? Who wrote that book? You know, <laughs> so it's sort of like the idea of basically God created us, similar to like let's just say how we like created computers, like sophisticated systems. Yeah. God's the one who created us as a sophisticated system. Yeah. Because we are more sophisticated than a computer. Yeah. In some ways. Pretty much always. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're not better with like direct math or anything <laughs> sure um but but yeah but to that point uh yeah it's 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 suggesting that if we saw some beautiful mechanism happening you wouldn't assume it just created itself um and uh, as caitlin was suggesting we are far more complex in that there's so much more happening not only with our physical body we have a mind in us, like there's something within us we can love. There's so much more complex about who we are in our creation that just begs the question of how did we get here? Um, we're observing this reality and we're asking these questions of how did we get here? And the history of like all of this natural science is birthed out of Christian thinkers 
who wanted to examine this. Um, they wanted to figure out, and the church uh, employed these people <laughs> to go and research and find out. So science is very centered. Its start um, was, was from the church. And, and again, I want, I want to make clear that science is not a worldview. It's not a, a religion. <laughs> science is a method. It's a method of research. Um, you don't, uh, uh, science is something you do. You ask a question and then you compile da data, you formulate a thesis, then you test that th thesis, you compile some more data, then you form a conclusion um, about it all, right? So uh, science is simply a, a method of doing research. It is not a philosophy. Um, we form philosophy out of some uh, our science and reasoning, um, but philosophy is science itself is not contradictory to who God is in creation. <clears throat> a method of observing and describing our world shouldn't contradict what God created our world to display. Um, that that's this baseline that I, I'm I'm kind of working from. Um, now, just a quick thought about doing research and doing science um, and all of these contradictions we're seeing in different camps. Um, there's always going to be contradictions when we do biased research. Um, if you, you're going to ask a question and you're going to try to answer that question. And at some point in the way, you're not going to be able to hold all of the other questions or all the other variables out there together um, and uh, will eventually miss something, right? Um, we all do this, and that's why there's so many teams, like the, the, the scientific community has got so many layers of trying to catch all of these biases. You can read about this, and you hear about this, and so you do like just the stuff about the COVID um, uh, 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 shot, vaccination, vaccine, yeah, and all of the things, all the, the research that had to be done, and the methods, and to make sure it was viable. Like it, There's so many layers to this, because we know that when we set out to answer a question or we set out to do something, we will miss things. We all do this. And it's not so much about being bent, like there's evil people who are just trying to do this terrible thing. And so they're just making these assumptions about, you know, I, I don't think that's always the case, though there are some people who are dead set on disproving God through these means, um, which is just going to set you up to miss certain things. In the same way, there are people dead set on proving God who are just going to dismiss other things that they don't like. Right? We, we, all, we all do this. We do this all the time. And we need to make room for the reality that our, all of our research isn't perfect. It's helpful. And we compile it. And we do this when we read our Bible and when we do um, uh, setting out to prove a thesis for a science project. Right? So <clears throat> this, it's there. And my point is not to dismiss everything that's scientific out there is not to be trusted. Um, that's not the case. Uh, my point is just make room for the fact that there's a lot of variables at play and we need to be okay with that um, and continue to ask questions to employ this idea of, of the scientific method as we engage these arguments, as we engage our Bible, um, because the, uh, uh, science is not um, at its very center uh, against the Bible. It's just a method. It's a method of discovery. Um, and our Bible is uh, answering a very different question that was science is set to answer. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> so like I said, we, we, we attempted to do the scientific method in part one, going through Genesis 1 and 2 from a literary standpoint, 
is trying to examine the literary styles within it and ask more questions and look, compile data and ask, ask more questions and come to a uh, thesis statement and come to a conclusion about it all. Um, and I hope that you saw that there was evidence to see that there was another way of reading our Bible, another re way of reading Genesis 1 and 2 that answers not what or how God created, but who God is and who we are and why. Um, <clears throat> and uh, as we're doing this, this does, it puts pressure. It puts pressure on how we read this. Because who can understand it then? If we have to like examine so much more, like, oh wait, it's not straightforward, but it says seven days, you know, and it kind of like, you can, you kind of feel this pressure. Um, but one of the things I was listening to is listen to John Lennox. Um, if you've never heard him speak, um, go on YouTube and, and just Google or search John Lennox. <laughs> go on YouTube and Google, no. Uh, go on YouTube, search John Lennox, um, and whatever topic you want to hear him talk about, he's, he's really great. I really like his arguments. Um, and one of the things he says, he talks about this idea of literal. Um, and, and we're kind of wrestling with this, how literally do we take our Bible? Um, and he says, we've kind of, we've basically made this word literal virtually useless, he says, because uh, and he uses the example of in John 10. This is great, because in the group me, this is going to connect with our, with our group me argument about oh. doors and wheels. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's, he, John Lennox says, Jesus is a door. And he's like, how literal do you take that? Is Jesus literally a door in the way we understand a door? <laughs> no, we know that. We know Jesus isn't calling himself a wooden door. Like, we know that he's not saying that. So we, we recognize he's using a metaphor. But we also recognize Jesus is saying something about who he really is. He is a real door in that it's only through him that we can go. So he is a door, literally, but not in the literal sense of it physic physical door, door in a door frame. Does that make sense? Like John Lennox is trying to help us understand when we say literal, we might not be meaning that, but we might be meaning like he's a literal door within the metaphor of understanding how access to God, okay? Um, make sense? Got it, follow? Okay, so whenever we look at literal and understanding our Bible, we have to recognize there's a lot of imagery our Bible is using. It's constantly using imagery that we intuitively understand. Oh, that's a metaphor. Jesus is a door. It's a metaphor, right? And when we read Genesis 1 and 2, though it's more complex, there's so much imagery there that we have to make room for the imagery and the poetry. Um, now, this doesn't mean that creation cannot be seven little days. I kind of already un uh, uh, understood that. My big point I want you to see is that God is God, and we are not. And the, God, the Bible is displaying for us a God as creator who is all-powerful. He's good, and he's loving, he's gracious, and he's relational. And he sees all of creation. He sees all of it. He sees the magnitude of it, the, the uniqueness of it, the fine-tuning of it. He sees all of it, and he understands fully how it all fits together. Go read Job. That's his big argument in the book of Job. Is God, do you, he, he tells Job, do you see? You don't see, but I do, right? And we're called to essentially acknowledge that he sees and I don't. And yet he desires to reveal his nature and his creation to us. And we get to discover that. 
And we're going to come across assumptions that we had about, oh, it must have been like this. And then he might lead us to discover something like, oh, it wasn't like that. But something I, I heard, uh, again, this was John Lennox saying, um, and he talked about um, evolution, which this is it's a whole other topic, evolution. Um, and we can't even unpack all of that um, and how, how this all fits. And there's so many arguments. You just type in uh, uh, arguments for God and evolution, and you'll see debates, and you'll see... Uh, people commenting on videos and they're just tearing each other. And there's so much uh, slights and put downs within this argument. It's really hard to wade through and like, see, oh, that's really good. Oh, that's really good. And see the honor of how they fit together, right? It's really, really difficult. Um, but one of the things I thought uh, uh, John Lennox said that was really interesting. Um, he says the reason he like kind of isn't, he's really interested in biology and evolution. Um, but he says, evolution depends on life having already existed for it to get going. And so if, if we want to use evolution as our way of understanding where life came from, it, it won't, it can't. It, it depends on the fact that there's already life and this is what happened, right? Um, and so if you want to uh, see how life happens or where it came from, Evolution isn't going to answer that question. And he makes this point that uh, Richard Dawkins concedes to that after many years of debating, concedes to that point that life, uh, evolution depends on life already existing, um, which is an interesting argument. Um, and as I was doing some of this research, listening to him, and I listened a little bit to Christian, uh, Christopher Hitchens um, and William and Craig and some of their arguments, um, something Christopher Hitchens said about atheists he says, so many Christians misunderstand who we are. Atheists are not claiming that we've, we've proven there's no God, but that all the arguments for God's existence fail to evidentially prove his existence. And that all the arguments don't necessarily need to assume there's a God in there. So their claim isn't so much that we have the truth. It's that all of the arguments for God just, I don't feel like it, you, you assume God's there. It's maybe logical for God to be there, but you haven't proved that he's there. So he, we don't need him to be there for this, this argument to you know, still be viable. That's his claim of what athe atheism is about, which to me, I find fascinating because it all, at the end of the day, all of our research, all of our science will still get us only to a point where we have to say, I can't prove God, nor can I disprove God. So I have to make some sort of statement of faith. Like, that's all of this. So science and creation are not opposed in any way because it, it's just research that leads us to a position of we still have to make a statement of faith about what happened. Now, we make more, uh, more reasonable um, understandings, but neither of them will get us to absolute certainty about who God is and if he exists at all. Does this make sense? Any questions on that? Very good. A method of observing and describing our world shouldn't contradict what God created our world to display. That is at the bottom of what I'm trying to get to today. <clears throat> okay, let me get back to where I was. I had to jump around there. 
Um, so as we are reading our Bible, we need to make room for the unknowns. Um, as we read through creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2, um, we need to make room for the fact that I don't understand it. Um, but we know the God who does understand it. And as we dig at things, and we come across things and arguments to say, maybe it didn't happen that way. Our science is saying it, it, it looks more likely that it was this. We have a choice of whether we're going to say, ah, they're wrong, because I, I imagine it to be this way. And we can internally, like, we have an idea of how it happened. We have a picture. We've been taught a whole lot of things about how it happened. And then we come across an argument saying, suggesting it didn't happen that way. We have a choice of whether we're going to reject it or we're going to continue to ask questions because if God is who he says he is, and as we ask questions and, and try to discover his world, we should still come back to knowing him, only we'll know him better, deeper, and we'll see how little we really are. Um, another argument here that we need to fit into all of this is that uh, we cannot know everything. I kind of already established this point, but science, scientists, science will never explain all of that there is in our created world. Um, we are limited and finite, and it makes sense philosophically that if we don't know everything, we cannot disprove this piece over here that Christians are saying, this is how it is. If we can't see everything, maybe we, maybe we see a shred of the, if, it, if, if all of knowledge is like this table, so to speak, maybe we've discovered, you know, this little fraction, this little piece over here. So if that's the case, wouldn't it make sense that if we've discovered this, the unknowns that we should be okay with some mystery in our world, um, and God could be a part of that mystery. Um, that makes sense. Cool. So uh, let's look at the flood for an example. Genesis uh, 6 um, and onward um, to chapter 11, is it? I think it's five chapters long, roughly. Um, so in this story, it says that uh, as, as uh, God is telling Noah to build an ark and he's because it's going to he's going to flood the whole earth and wipe everything. He's going to start over. Right. And it literally uses the word of the whole earth, um, which is we've I don't know, I'm sure you were taught at church at some point that meant the whole world it's word for word, literal. Right. Uh, how many of you know, though, there's a lot of people who tried to research this and have suggested that maybe it was more localized than whole world. It seems to be that it was in this whole, this region, there was a massive flood, but it doesn't seem to be going beyond that. Has anyone, have you heard that argument? Um, I don't think it's, um, uh, we don't really like, you know, gone over that, like if it's a whole world or not, like I would say it talks like a little sense more, more as we just went like over like the story and stuff. But I think it kind of also makes sense because I feel like um, given that time point, I don't think, you know, as humans, we haven't really spread out that far yeah. at that point. So it wouldn't make sense in that case. It doesn't really have to be the entire world if, you know, we haven't really spread it out that far. Yeah, so. I, I agree. I don't think it has to be the whole world. It could be the whole world as they understood it and as, had, as far as humanity had uh, known it. Um, so their whole world. Yeah. Sorry, say that again. Yeah, I, I think that's it. I think that's the best way to understand it. Now, I do think, as, as Ken Ham and others in that argument will say, like, no, it was definitely the whole globe. Um, 
and they they make all these there's reasons for this here and there um which i think are interesting um, um so the, one of them i i know of is like the fact that we have all these canyons and mountains and erosion um is like uh if they're working from the the earth is not billions of years old it's thousands of years old and the flood is their way of depicting all of this erosion in history um like, and then they also say like all these fossils that we found in like mountains to me like they're like uh, uh, i think it was like a, an amphibious animal something in the mountain the fossil in the mountains and to them they're like yeah flood so know, yeah do you know like how they think the world was created to be at first yeah i don't know okay yeah, yeah. I, I mean i don't know I think they do make claims. I just don't know them very well, so I won't. Is it like I was like talking about like I think because if we read, if we go through, um, you know, because I, I wasn't there, but uh, in the creation it talks about how you split the water. So there's like, I think most of the flood water actually came from the water that was actually in the sky, based like from my understanding, like because it he split it up and they like in the creation and uh so that's where i felt like all the water from my understanding came from i'm not obviously i don't know if it was like that water was all over the world like or it was just in that one section so yeah sure yeah i we don't know um and and uh my understanding is that passage in genesis 1 is poetic more than anything um, and again, we can argue and, and, uh, and talk more about that specifically. Go listen to the part one, ab- to the part one. about that. Um, because I don't, I don't know, you know, we don't know where the water was, <laughs> but God made it rain and it flooded and it was crazy. Um, and, and all of that, like, I do think that it happened. It literally happened. And then one of the reasons I think that actually happened as a flood um, I do think it was localized, but I think it was a flood because there's so many other accounts of a massive flood in antiquity. So um, the fact that not only is our Bible, but other Mesopotamian literature is telling a story about a flood says, okay, there must have been a flood. And archaeological evidence suggests there was a massive flood in that area um, that wiped out uh, so much land. So, um, in that one, I think research and scientific evidence is pointing to the viability of our Bible. But we're led to think, well, maybe a whole world was just one of those phrases that we, we acknowledge culturally that was how they understood all of the observable world they had. Um, any questions specifically on that one? Um, so what do you think about like, uh, after the flood subsides when God said Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And the other verses uh, about blowing out every living thing on the face of the ground. Uh, do you think that's like, uh, that's not literal then? Or how would you? Yeah, good question. Um, so, what verse is that? Uh, the first one would be. Eight. Oh, okay, the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. 
even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. Okay, um, so this is a this is a good question. How little do we make this? One, this is this is words from God uh, about a promise He's making to us, and if the flood was literal, to do exactly what He said in that to wipe out humanity. Um, because of the inclination of every he even human heart was evil, <laughs> um, because of these events happened as we're saying they happened here, the only thing we're saying is how they understood whole world is the only thing we're, we're saying maybe it wasn't um, as literal as we perceive world because we perceive world in this, we know the whole globe. Um, that's the only reason I'm bringing any sort of like uh, nuance to the text here I think God is making a promise that he's never going to destroy all of humanity through a flood again um, and I think we can confidently say this um, n especially now that we have Jesus on the cross that he is all of the evil that is in every human heart is being addressed not through a flood and destroying creation but destroying the one perfect human um, who would overcome that evil. And now we have, by faith in him, um, been rescued from that evil. Um, so I think that is a promise that is literal. Any follow-up on that? Cool. Any other questions here? So, uh, I, I wasn't here for like the best one, but like, since we, you know, you're talking about how, like we don't know exactly where the flood, what are your thoughts like what um, made like, humans and like and, and animals like live for so long back then than, than now? Great question. And I've heard that it was something after the flood changed the atmosphere. Um, and I think that's interesting. And again, we have, we weren't there, we don't know. Um, our Bible tells us that God said, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. <laughs> so God in his own way provided the way such like provided life to have gone this way that people could live up to 900 years. And then after this point, he says, they're not going to live that long anymore. And we don't know why or how that happened. We just know that God, God chose to change that. Wait, with the 900 years, isn't that in the perspective of like maybe like a lunar year instead of a solar year? I remember hearing something mm. about that at some point. Like that's why the years are so long is because like different calendars and everything. Sure. I've not heard that argument. I'll have to do some more digging at that one. So that's the kind of where I want us to get to is being okay with people who do are doing this. All this science, science is good. It's discovering of God's created world and how we interpret and understand that is it should be a communal discussion and we shouldn't look at science as this horrible evil, if that makes sense. And, and I, my hope here is not to make the Bible a science, like about science. This is not a scientific book, right? And the, the reason we're bringing all this stuff up is because there are questions that people have against God because of what they're discovering in the world. 
And we are led then to walk on a journey of listening and discovering and working together to like to work to love people well, right? Because that's what our, our God is saying to us. And then also let his creation uh, display and declare who God is to us um, and not our own imagination of what we think it should have been. Um, now, that doesn't mean we take every word that a scientist says about God and say, oh, yeah, that's God. No, I don't think that's the point um, that we're on a discovery and we're using our Bible to know our God, but also making room for the fact that we won't know him fully within our own minds that none of our understandings. Does, does that make sense? Am I, am, I, am I being a little too close to her, heresy there? No. <laughs> it's no. good. Yeah. No. You're good. Okay, good. What's the opposite of heresy? Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy, yes. Okay, great. Yeah. Orthodox. Excellent. Any other questions on this topic? I know I'm just scratching the surface, and my hope is that I'm equipping you to then go and investigate with a, with a good lens of interpreting it and bringing it into your life and into your relationships. This is not meant for us, again, to build up a moat around our understanding of God, but to be able to build bridges to those around us and help them see that God is is reasonable, that their questions are worth asking. Um, and we can process and work together with people and make room for, for different understanding of scientific evidence to know our God that our Bible is showing us. If you want to be with us live for the XA Learning Hour, come to the UWM Student Union, room W145 at 1.30 on